Welcome to the Christ Academy podcast with Jeff Wong, where you'll receive inspiring ideas and stories as we explore the journey of faith in Christ. Let us head into the Empty 12 Talk. And if you've been tracking along with us, we've been going through this series through the Book of Acts. And I don't know how you guys feel about how you guys have felt about Acts, but I want to encourage you to be proud of yourself if you've been tracking along. Even if you missed a few weeks, it's not easy to complete a whole book in the Scriptures and a book within the Bible. Many of us have completed Matthew and John together, then Luke, and then now we're, we have a few more chapters for the book of Acts. But at this juncture, as we head into Acts 19, I want to encourage you guys, uh, and I want to I want to encourage you guys to keep pressing on, to keep digging in. Some of you guys have given us feedback, and I've, I, I hear you guys, that a lot of this is difficult to understand. There's a lot of cultural things, historical things, geographical things, theological things that are happening within these chapters that are difficult to understand. So let me just give a little bit of context, kind of like a pause for a moment in, uh, at this point past the 18th chapter and just give some context in case we've forgotten. So when we track through these different Gospels, the Gospels of Matthew, of John, of Luke, we didn't do Mark, maybe one day we'll do that, but we did three out of the four Gospels and each one of those is a biography of Jesus' life, but it's divinely inspired by God by either an eyewitness or someone who is close to an eyewitness. So Matthew was a disciple of Jesus. He was with Jesus. He was that tax collector. And if you watch the Chosen series, you got to see what Matthew may have been like. Um, And and they took some liberty or artistic license to kind of, I don't to say flesh out, but to to show what that character might have been like or what Matthew might have been like. And then also John was a disciple of Jesus as well. Luke, who's Luke? You don't remember reading about Luke through the Gospels or seeing him in the Chosen series. Luke was a doctor, and he was close to some of the disciples. So we read about him in the book of Acts. And then... uh, Luke continues on and he writes a sequel to the to the this biography of Jesus life and he this is called the acts i mean no, it's not called the acts it's called acts it's called it's also referred to as the acts of the apostles wh- meaning what they did like the almost the life of the apostles the apostles apo- the, what does disciples mean what does a disciple mean what does disciple mean and what does apostle mean and what's the difference disciple is a learner or a follower think of like those those old kung fu movies where a kung fu master takes on a student that's what it that's what it, it's like a, uh, a a disciple is a student a follower of the master when it comes to what is an apostle an apostle is someone who's sent forth sent out sent out on a mission so the same people who are disciples were sent out as apostles for to accomplish Jesus' mission, to bring the gospel to other peoples. And so 
Acts traces, this book of Acts traces the beginnings of this. And this is the beginnings, actually, of the church. I don't mean the beginnings of a church building. I don't mean the beginning of a legal entity called the church. Our church has legal uh, charitable status with the Canada Revenue Agency. I don't mean that as a definition of the church. I don't mean the definition of a church when it comes to an institution. I'm talking about the the grassroots, organic people, the simplified the simplified version, the most simple version of what that means and what is the biblical idea of what the church is. It's the people who were called out by God as a community on mission for Christ. So it doesn't even mean the people who go to Sunday services, although we would refer to that as possibly the church today. Sure, they may have gone gotten together to worship I don't think they had Sunday services in the books, book of Acts, not the same not the same way that we do, but they were called out for a purpose. This is the church. They were called the way all throughout Acts. And so you see the beginnings of this, as, and then the Holy Spirit released at Pentecost. We talked about that um, a, a, a few weeks ago, and that takes, if you want to go back to the original um, message dealing with that, I believe that was Acts 2. But also the Pentecost, we talked about that a little bit on the Pentecost uh, Sunday, Empty 12 Talk. So the Holy Spirit was released. Jesus said that when he would go, it would allow for the Holy Spirit to come. The Holy Spirit. So who's Jesus? Who's the Holy Spirit? Who's God the Father? God the Father, God the Son, who is Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. So Father, Son, Spirit. Sometimes you see some Christians, some types of Christians go like this. And it's meant to symbolize God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I don't know if this is exactly it because it's not our tradition, but that, this is what it symbolizes. I don't know if this is the exact motion. Don't, I, I was going to say, don't quote me on that, but don't, don't take that exact thing. Maybe you can look it up on YouTube if you want or something. Um, but our God is a triune God. It's, he's one God but expressed in three persons. Some people would would describe it like 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 water in the form of liquid, solid and gas. Others would describe it like Neapolitan ice cream. It's one flavor, but there's three flavors. Um but so if the Old Testament was primarily God the Father working maybe, then the Gospels is primarily the Son. He's the star of the show throughout the Gospels. And then from Acts onwards, in a sense, it's the Holy Spirit as the main as the main part of the Trinity. And so we see this in Acts, and we see powerful things happen as the Holy Spirit, um, as people become baptized, not just by water, but become baptized by the Holy Spirit, baptized in the Holy Spirit. They become empowered by the Holy Spirit. And if there's any lesson for us in the big picture about that, is that we ought to live our lives in a way where we're just we're we're filled with the Holy Spirit and we're empowered by the Holy Spirit. So, when you when you're interacting with people, um, or as you're even even before that, as you're starting your day, you're being filled. You ask God to fill you with the Spirit, and you focus on Him. Maybe you read Scripture, maybe you memorize it, maybe you pray, whatever it is. But you feel that you 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 allow Him to fill you. You ask Him to fill you, and then you 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 live out the rest of your day with a consciousness that the Holy Spirit is in you and empowering you. 
As you're having conversations with other people, you might be conversing with uh, indirectly with with the spirit with the Holy Spirit of God, and asking them, "What do I do here? Do you want me to? Is there anything you want me to encourage this person with?" Encouragement was a big thing this past week. I shared about it in some of our WhatsApp groups, and it's actually going to be in one of the Bible backgrounds that's that's coming out um, later this week. But um, but we, we ought to live empowered and equipped uh, by the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit. And as we do that, we are able to live out the life that Jesus um, has for us and have an impact in the world the way that Jesus has for us. So coming into today's Empty 12 Talk, this is chapter 19. And Acts goes up to chapter 28. We're going to we're going to go through that, and then uh, and we're going to finish off Acts 28, and then we'll head into a new series. But Acts 19, um, I've entitled this, this Empty 12 Talk, When God Clashes with Evil. When God Clashes with Evil. And we're going to see a lot of this happen in this chapter. And we've seen it in previous chapters, but I want to point out f- five things that I feel like God wants to, to show us wants to remind us of or teach us for the first time. Maybe he's showing us some of these things because it's going to happen this week in your lives or in our lives as a community. When God shows us things, speaks to us, it's for a purpose. Maybe he's just transforming us and developing us as disciples. And so we're going to head into it. The format is I'm going to have one kind of key point per section of Scripture. All right, so we're going to go to the first one, then to the second one, the third, the fourth, the fifth, and then we're going to close. All right, so let's listen. As you're listening to me, I'm praying that you're not just listening to me, that you're trying to listen to the Holy Spirit. Don't just listen to Pastor Jeff. Be listening with your spiritual ears. God may be, God may show you, God may even show you something that I said that maybe was wrong. God may show you something through the words I say. God may show you uh, something through the scriptures that come out with this, and he may emphasize something more to you. He may direct you with something more specific than I could tell you. So be listening to the Holy Spirit while we're, while you're listening to this, this empty 12 talk. I'm trying my best to, in a sense, channel the Holy Spirit and speak what I sense that he's saying to us as a community. It's a part of my gifting as a pastor, as a, and with the gift of a pastor, spiritual gift of a pastor, and spiritual gift of teaching as well. All right, so let's go to the first scripture right now. God, as we as we do that, Lord, would you just empower your word? Would you speak to us powerfully? Would you transform us? Would you transform us as your disciples? And may you use us to transform the world that we live in. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I need. I can feel my throat getting a little itchy here, so I need to get, grab a little bit of water. So let me just get a drink here. I don't. Sorry if there's a. Little, this is causing some ASMR into your ears. It's always good to get some water. So the first thing I want to point out: when God confronts evil in our world, when God clashes with the evil that's in the world, 
these five things happen. This is the first one. People tend to help others along in the journey. You know, when I was in when I was in high school, I remember um, in grade ten. This is a a year younger than than Lucas is right now as he finishes off at grade eleven. I remember I was a rocker. I was wearing like Twisted Sister, like heavy metal shirts and and so forth. And uh, and my room was filled with like kind of softer metal or hard rock. It was filled with like Bon Jovi posters and stuff on three walls. And and then all the other bands I liked, like Aerosmith and Europe and Poison and stuff like that, way back in the day, decades and decades ago. Um, but... At that point, my, 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 my understanding of spiritual things was very, very, very limited. I thought Christianity was believing in God and is expressed through not having premarital sex, not smoking, not doing drugs, and not getting drunk. And so that's all I knew. Even though I had experience in church, I thought it was boring. I couldn't really understand what was going on. I was always fighting not falling asleep on Sundays and uh, in the Sunday service. And I, I didn't go to any youth groups or anything like that at that at that point. I, I couldn't relate. I was very different than everyone else because I had rocker hair down, you know, down to the middle of my back and, and so forth. And it was just, it was, I didn't fit into a conservative, conservative Chinese church. It just, I felt really like a fish out of water. But at the same time, I believed in God and I knew that there was something there's a different code for living and a different purpose. And I just tried my best to do those those few things that I knew. But then one one year, my I believe my cousin invited me to go to youth camp. And so I went to a youth camp with the with the rest of the people that were youth. And when I was there, what they would do is they would put a camp counselor, a leader, in charge of a small group of, of youth. And they would do this so that there's many groups of youth. And there was one fellow who was 23. I remember I was 16 and he was 23. And he was my camp counselor. And he, and he was camp counselor of everyone that was in our group. And he took us under his wing. And he became friends with us. And he became a model for me a visual model of how how I could see what it looks like for as what it looks like to follow Jesus at the next level, and because he befriended me and I was sixteen, I couldn't understand why does someone twenty three years old want to be friends with someone who's sixteen years old and and in a pure way. I don't mean and there was nothing there's nothing evil about what about this, and so he had a huge influence in my life. In a sense, I became. Jesus' disciple by becoming his disciple. I just wanted to be like him. There were I didn't know of any older people who were interested in me, who cared about me, who liked me or loved me even. And he did. And so when I came back from that camp, my mom and my dad, I mean, there's lots of things that happened at that camp that had an impact on me. But, when, but this mentor, this discipler had that effect on me. And he helped me get to the next step of the journey. He didn't know everything. He didn't have all the answers. He was a person who was helping others along in the journey. He helped me to get to the next step and then the the next step and a few steps. He didn't help me to get all the way, 
but he helped me to the next few steps. My mom told me years later that when I came back from camp, my my demeanor was different. I was just, I was different. Maybe it was like I didn't look as depressed as I used to look. Maybe I, would, I didn't look as angry as I used to look. I know I had a lot of anger at that time. And so what we see in Acts 19 verses 1 to 5, and we're going to read it in just a moment here, is that we see people help others along the journey get from point A to point B. They don't help them to get all the way to point Z or Z, but to get to point B and to point C, sometimes point D. Sometimes someone else comes along and helps that person get from point D to point E, and that's it. And that's what we see here. And there's something there's something about this that reflects our own experience. I'll talk about that in a moment, but let's read this scripture together as I put it on the screen right now. It's a little bit small, so if you can't read it, if you're not on a big enough screen to read it, this is a little bit smaller than, than usual this week, so just listen along. Um, if it's big enough, feel free to read it out loud. It's always great to read out the Word of God. So here we go. While Apollos was in Corinth, so this is Corinth. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, this the letter to the Corinthians, the first and second letters. And it says, Paul, uh, Paul's overland journey brought him back to Ephesus. That's where we get the book Ephesians in the Bible. He encountered a group of about a dozen disciples there. Paul said, "Do you receive the Holy Spirit? Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you became believers?" John's disciples said, "We've never heard about the Holy Spirit." Paul said, "Well then, what kind of ceremonial washing through baptism did you receive?" John's disciples said, We received the ritual cleansing of baptism that John taught. In verse 4, Paul said, John taught the truth. The people should be baptized with renewed thinking and turn toward God. But he also taught that the people should believe in the one whose way he was preparing, that is, Jesus the Anointed. Verse 5 says, As soon as they heard this, they were baptized. This time, in the name of the Lord Jesus. So here you see actually a few things happening. One, John, John's disciples. By the way, John, this is if 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 we could put the webcam back on the on the screen. John's disciples, guys. This is John the Baptist's disciples. If you remember in the Gospels that we read, Jesus had his disciples. John had his even before Jesus, and. And John was trying to point, prepare the way and point the way for Jesus. And so some of those disciples, there's dis- different disciples of John at different points. Some of them heard about J- Jesus and some of them didn't. Some of them traveled and went to other places and they got disconnected from John and may not have heard about Jesus. And these were some of those disciples that didn't hear about Jesus. And because they didn't know Jesus' teachings, they never heard about the Holy Spirit. They never heard John talk about the Holy Spirit. And so they were baptized in um, in the authority and in the name of John to repent from their sins. Repent means to make a turn, to turn towards God, rather than to continue living in a sinful, depraved lifestyle. And so here, the Apostle Paul is telling them, the next step that you got to do is get baptized in the name of Jesus. 
And then he's going to lead them in this passage to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And so what we, what we see here is the Apostle Paul, even though he was, in a sense, he was a spiritual giant. To, like to us, he's a spiritual giant. But yet, what he did at that point is he just helped, he just helped those guys, those group, those, those group of John's disciples, he helped them just to get to the next step. He helped them to the next step in their journey. And so, men, one of the things, the things that you can do as you relate this to your own life is you can think about the people who helped you get from this point to that point way back in your journey as you look past, look back, back over your shoulder. Think about them. Think about them and thank God for them. Thank God for them right now. God, thank you for this person who helped me to understand baptism and to get there, to get baptized. God, thank you for this person who helped me to understand what it means to worship you. They helped me to get to the next step. I thank you for them. God, thank you for, if it was your parents maybe, who helped helped you with some foundational beliefs, foundational practices in your faith. God, thank you so much for them. They helped me to get to the next step in my journey. Another thing that you might want to do to, as you apply this to your life and think about this, think about how can you do the exact same thing that you experienced through someone else? How can you help other people to get to the next step? You don't need to know it all. You don't need to have all the answers. You don't need to get them from A to Z. You just need to help them to get to the next point in the journey. You just need to be one of those people who help others along the journey. And it might be just having a conversation with them. It might be asking them a question. It might be bringing them along. It might be, hey, why don't you come to Life Group with me if you've had a conversation with them and, and, they, and they, want, they, they, they want to be able to read the Bible, but they don't understand what they're reading. Just like Philip with the Ethiopian eunuch. Then you might say to them, come along. Come along. We read the Bible and we help each other. And the Holy Spirit helps us to understand the whole thing together and to apply it to our lives. So you might bring someone along that journey so you can help them along that journey, just like how someone helped you. You might be asking people, like, hey, what can I pray for you? This week I'm praying, today or tomorrow, I'm praying for my friends. And I want to know if, if, if there's something that you need prayer for so I can pray for you. I can pray for you. I'll, I, I'll guarantee you that I will pray for you. Next time you talk with them, ask them how it's going. At some point, help them to the next point in their journey. Say, hey, do you ever pray yourself? Do you know how to pray? Hey, let me, sh- let me share with you three things that can help you in your prayers. Like pray with faith, and you can elaborate on what that means. Um, the right, tell them that, the, that righteousness, living right, helps your prayers. Because in James 5.16, it says the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. It could be that you, that you teach them about asking, that we don't receive because we don't ask. That's what Jesus said. So whatever it is, you help them along. You might want to share with them, hey, did you know that there's a few things, few elements that you can have in your prayers, prayer elements? You can ask God for things. Um, you can confess sins to God, like, God, forgive me for lying there. I uh, just slipped out. I was afraid, and I just lied. It could be praising God, meaning appreciating His character, who He is. It could be thanking God, 
which is appreciating what he's done. It could be submitting to God. Those are prayer elements. Um, those are different prayer elements. And you might teach them that because you want to help them to get to the next step in the journey. Whatever it is you know, help them to get to the next step based on what you know. So when God is confronting, once again, evil, you often see people who are empowered and uh, empowered motivated, inspired um, by the Holy Spirit, and they're helping others along the journey. And that's what you got to do as God wants to impact the evil that's around us in our world. All right, so that's number one. Let's go to the next, let's go to the next slide here. As God clashes with evil, a second thing happens too. We start to see the Holy Spirit play more and more of a crucial role. And we see that in Acts 19.6, and it's a short verse. And let me just read it out here. It says, when Paul laid his hand, so this is the, the, this is the, 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 first, the verse that follows Acts, 1 to, Acts 19.1-5 that we just read. This is verse 6. When Paul laid his hands on them, in, this is something that people do in prayer sometimes, You lay your hands on them as you pray. When Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them in the same way the original disciples experienced at Pentecost. Once again, that word Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was released. They spoke in tongues and prophesied. Tongues means other languages. And there's two instances of this, guys. I need more water. All right, so... When the Bible talks about tongues in the New Testament specifically, the New Testament of the Bible, New Testament section, tongues sometimes is the tongues of angels or the tongues of men. That means it could be an angelic language that's used for prayer just between you and God. It's for your self-edification, your self-benefit. Or it's tongues for the benefit of other people. And if it's for the benefit of other people, and it's, it's the tongues of men, it's a human language, and it needs to be interpreted by someone. So someone else might, at that point, have the gift of interpretation. And if they do, then they would interpret what you're saying. Unless God gives you a tongue that is the language of the people that you happen to be around. And that sometimes that happens. It happens a lot. That happens sometimes when people go on a mission trip. And God gives them the language of those people, and it's just it's just crazy how He does that. But you often see the Holy Spirit play a crucial role, and you see that in the rest of this chapter. You see that throughout Acts. But the lesson here for us is this, guys. We need the Holy Spirit. We don't just need our intellect. We don't need to just rely on our experience. We severely need the Holy Spirit to empower us. That's why the baptism of the Holy Spirit is so important. If you've never been baptized in the Spirit, let me just pray for you right this moment. God, if there's anyone who hasn't been baptized in the Spirit and they want to receive you in that way, would you baptize them in your Spirit right now so that this day would be, and this day onwards would be different than any day in the past, that they would be equipped by your Holy Spirit, that they would hear things differently, they would be able to see things with their spiritual eyes and hear with their spiritual ears, and they would understand things in their head that they would value and cherish 
the things of God in their hearts and they would live it out with their hands, God, their head, their heart, their hands. Would you baptize them in the Spirit right now? If you give them the word, how, and however that manifests, whether it's through tongues or through others, some other spiritual thing, God, let that be. But empower them by, the, by means of your Holy Spirit. Baptize them in your Spirit right now in Jesus' name. Amen. That was just a little intermission, just a, a little pause there that was unplanned. Just, we need the Holy Spirit. That's a thing. You know, like when you're having a conversation with someone, you're out to coffee or out to dinner. Sometimes you just have, in most cases, you have no idea what they need spiritually or emotionally. Sometimes there's trauma that God wants to minister into, that they, something they've experienced. And He wants to use you, even though you like, I don't have experience with this. I don't even know what's going on. But when the Holy Spirit comes into play, the Holy Spirit is the counselor. That's one of... That's one of his titles. He's counselor, mighty counselor. And when he counsels you, he's going to direct you to speak into their lives. And sometimes you get this strong urge, a strong kind of sense of something for this person. And this takes practice, guys, as you learn to listen to the Holy Spirit. You might be wondering, is this just me thinking something? Is this just my own voice inside? Or is this the Holy Spirit? And as you get to know God and how He works and you practice it, you get to see what works and what doesn't. So you might just say, I don't know. I, I don't know if this means anything. And I don't know if I'm, like, if I'm wrong or what, or, or if I'm hearing something that God, maybe God's given me something. But this, I have this sense within me of this. And you just you throw it out there and see if it means anything. But. Do it in humility. Let them know that I'm trying to learn from to hear from God. And I know that He loves me and that He loves you. And I think I might be hearing something from God that's for you. So I'm going to just throw it out there and you can do with it. If, if it makes sense, if it, it means something to you, then so be it and let it. I hope it's an encouragement to you or something. But if not, don't worry. Just toss it to the side. You could do that with people. Just be personal and be loving. But the Holy Spirit wants to give you words, words of knowledge, words of wisdom. It might be a prophetic word. It might be an encouragement, just like we talked about earlier. God often wants to encourage people, even if they're not Christians, especially if they're not Christians. God may want you to pray for healing, and it's the first time that you're ever going to pray for someone for healing, and it's the first time that healing is going to happen through you. Be open to the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit wants to use human beings. He wants to use us. He wants to actually send us out like apostles. Don't get scared off by that. It's powerful and it's amazing. And it doesn't matter if you've been a follower of Jesus, if you're a baby follower of Jesus, or if you're a veteran follower of Jesus, God can use you. And I, I encourage you to step out in faith. I dare you to step out in faith and let the Holy Spirit use you. Listen to the Holy Spirit and then do what He directs you to do. So the Holy Spirit plays a crucial and incredibly important role when God clashes with the evil that's in our world. Man, there's so many people around us that have so much trauma 
God wants to heal that trauma. He wants to minister into that trauma. He wants to, us to pray into that trauma and to bring about healing. It could be that someone just has a simple thing like discouragement. Maybe they, they haven't even voiced it to anyone. But God hears them. God hears their heart just like he's heard your heart. And he wants to use you to bring that encouragement to other people. Some people have been crushed by depression, by burnout, and God wants to use you to lift them up in encouragement. All right, so let's move on to the next one. As God clashes with the evil that's in our world, in the lives of people around us, in our own lives, He uses human faith because human faith harnishes the power of God. Let me repeat that. Human faith harnesses the power of God. And we see that in verses 11 to 12. So we're skipping from from verse 6 and we're going to verses 11 and 12. And let me put that up. It says, Meanwhile, God did amazing miracles through Paul. People would take a handkerchief or an article of clothing that had touched Paul's skin. They'd bring it to their sick friends or relatives. And the patients would be cured of their diseases and released from the evil spirits that oppressed them. It was crazy. It was crazy that these types of things were happening. That these, these, these articles of clothing or these, um, these handkerchiefs, whatever it was that would just, it would just, if it touched Paul, people took that and they went and they gave it to their friends and their friends got healed. The family members got healed because of that. Paul, Paul in, some, in most of these cases, he probably didn't even know what happened. It, it happened without his, him knowing. And it wasn't that Paul had a magical power within him. It wasn't that Paul was God. There was something powerful that was happening that's unexplainable. I don't know how to explain it, but I do know that it's happened before in other instances beyond this. It makes me think. It makes me think of, of some of those other instances. So here we see Paul and, and people's handkerchiefs and items of clothing that have just touched his skin, maybe touched his cheek or his hands or arms, wherever it is. But there's other instances. Like, for example, if we go back to Luke's other, Dr. Luke's other writing in his gospel, uh, the book of Luke, we look at the 8th chapter in verse 44. It says, it talks about the woman who was healed when she just, she went and she just touched the hem of Jesus' cloak. It wasn't that Jesus laid his hands on her or prayed for her or tried to heal her. He was just walking by, and then all the, then she just reached out in, in her faith. She just reached out to him and just touched his clothing, and then his garment, and then she was healed. He could feel, Jesus felt a surge of energy come out from him, and he turned to her, and he was blown away by this woman because she had the faith just to try to touch him, and that if she could just touch him, if she just should just reach out and just through the crowd in between people and just be able to touch him, that she would be healed, and she was healed, and it was crazy. And it's unexplainable. But one thing that happened was Jesus explained a little bit of it. He said it was the woman's faith that healed her. He didn't say it was me that healed her. He said it was the woman's faith. 
And it was just, and it, guess what, guys? It's not faith in anything. It's not faith in the universe. It's not faith in this other God or this or that or this medicine or whatever it might be. In, it's faith in Jesus. It doesn't mean that Jesus can't use medicine, but I don't want to use that as a cop-out to, to have faith in God. Especially me, because I've experienced physical healing from God. Some of you have too. But th- there's something about that faith of that woman at that moment. It healed her, Jesus said. And if Jesus said that directly, we know that faith can heal. Because human faith harnesses the power of God. That's how powerful it is. That's why you need faith. You can't do without it. You can't follow Jesus and have a powerful spiritual life without faith. If you do, it's just it's 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 a, it's like a, having a spiritual life with with without much spiritual in it. You need the power of God in it, and it comes by faith. So there's this instance with people's handkerchiefs and articles of clothing on Paul's skin. There's that second instance of women who were healed. Uh, that woman who was healed by touching Jesus' cloak in Luke eight forty four. But there's also those that were healed when. When Peter's shadow fell on them, and we see that in back in Acts five fifteen, but Luke makes it very clear in, in this in these writings that that God did the healing. It wasn't Paul in his clothing. It wasn't that Paul had like a superhero um, outfit that had incredible powers to it, and Paul didn't have those powers. God did these extraordinary miracles in Ephesus, and. If you know anything about Ephesus, it's a center of spirit. It was a center of spiritual darkness, and God demonstrates His demonstrates His supreme power in this city through these instances. In those days, and in that city, there was the ta- there was the Temple of Artemis. It was a huge, major, major temple. Um, it was a temple to the god Artemis, and there were tons of magical objects in those days and a lot of a lot of like uh, i don't know how you describe it but a lot of kind of magic and um spells and sorcery that happened back then it was just a stronghold of darkness and so we see in this instance that god c- clashes with evil in this point and he does it because people have faith and that harnesses God's power and is so powerful and so amazing. In our society, it's the, it's equally, in a sense, a stronghold of darkness and evil. And for all kinds of reasons, we don't necessarily, our culture doesn't worship Artemis, but our culture worships, worships other things, perhaps self, in a sense, perhaps other gods, perhaps money, perhaps... Um, Perhaps career, perhaps sex, perhaps pleasure, perhaps this or that, whatever it is. But when it's not God, something's wrong. And so we might not have this temple that is visible, but there are invisible temples where people pay homage and worship whatever God that they pursue, even if they don't know it. And so we need to bring, in this day and age, we need to bring human faith, human faith 
powerful faith, unwavering faith, that harnesses the power of God in our world so that God can clash and defeat evil through us. Let's go to the next one. So in Acts 19, verse 17 and 19, there's a turning away from wrong beliefs, no matter the cost. No matter the cost. And one of the reasons why I think this is so important in this particular day and age is because we, we have this cheap faith because, because the gospel is free. You don't pay for it. There's a tendency that when something is free, you don't value it as much. You don't know the value of it because, because we link the value of it with, with, with money sometimes. If it's this expensive, it's more valuable even though it's the same thing. But we can't do that. And so we see in this particular passage some incredible things that you may not have understood when you first read this passage. But I want to elaborate on it as we, as we discuss it further. But let's read the scripture itself. So in verse 17 it says, Word of the strange event spread throughout Ephesus among both Jews and Greeks. Everyone was shocked and realized that the name of Jesus was indeed powerful and praiseworthy. And let me pause for one second before we go further. So in the verses that precede verse 17, we read that there's, there was others that were practicing healing and they wanted to use the name of Jesus even though they didn't believe in Jesus. And so they used the name of Jesus to try to to exercise demons, to expel demons out of people. And when they said for those demons to leave in Jesus' name, the demons felt they were commanded by Jesus, but then they started to question, like, we know Jesus, we know Paul, but who the hell are you? And so when they found out that these guys didn't even believe in Jesus, they didn't have the real authority of Jesus, these demons just threw the people that they were possessing, they beat up these people. They beat them up. They tore off all their clothes. They ran out. As a result, they, had their, they ran out naked and bruised. And so these are the strange events that verse 17 is talking about. And then verse 18 continues. It says, as a result, a number of people involved in various occult practices came to faith. They confessed their secret practices and rituals. They confess them. They confess them as sin. God, forgive us for this, that we sacrifice to this, that we cast these kinds of spells, that we read these kinds of books, that we relied on these types of things, that we had these types of charms, that we had these types of idols that we bowed down to. Verse 19. Some of them had considerable libraries about their magic arts. They piled up their books and burned them publicly. Some estimated the value of the books to be 50000 silver coins. Again, word spread and the message of the Lord overcame resistance and spread powerfully. In another words, God clashed with evil and overcame it. And that's what God wants to continue to do and is continuing to do with or without us. What a powerful section of scripture here that we read. What a powerful section of scripture. In some translations, it describes the money in a in a uh, as drachmas, and so in other translations it says fifty thousand drachmas, 
worth. So each drachma was a silver coin. But how much is a drachma? Because, I mean, we don't have drachmas. We, we have dimes. We have nickels. I don't even remember using coins for a long time because we're, we're so digital nowadays. We use credit cards and debit cards and e-transfers and Bitcoin and, and, what, and what have you. Um, but in those days, coins were a common form of currency. And so a drachma, by the way, how much is a, was a drachma back then? A drachma was approximately a day's wages. So I don't know how much you get when you work. Maybe you get, if you work a full day, maybe you get a few hundred bucks. Um, so it would be equivalent to a few hundred bucks. That's what one, one of those coins was worth, one drachma. So this was, according to one commentary that I read, it said that this was a multi-million dollar bonfire. A multi-million bonfire in today's currency. They took all these books, and these books weren't just books. They were valuable books because they had they had all kinds of spells and incantations that promised power over sickness, over people and their circumstances. And so these books were very a very high value. And by the way, it wasn't easy to publish books in those days. Um, there was a lot more work to it than there is now, and and they were much more rare. So the power had this allure to it that came from the occult. It was something for which people paid dearly. They would pay huge amounts of money, of their earnings, for these types of books. And Ephesus, the city that they were in, was renowned in the ancient world as a shopping center for occult practices. You'd go to Ephesus so that you can... You, you can take advantage of these occult practices. You'd go to Ephesus so that you can purchase paraphernalia, items, idols, trinkets, different things that have occult power in them or were associated with occult practices. And that's that would explain the large quantity of scrolls or of books that were there. And so the people that saw the demonstration of God's power as, as God clashed with evil and overcame it, they, 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 were, they were thinking, man, I want to get, I want to get, I want to be under that. This is the God that has much more power than, than Artemis or any other gods that we worship or that we've, that we've submitted our lives to. And so as they came to God, even though, even though, the books or the scrolls that they had or the paraphernalia or the idols that they had, it, it must have cost them months' wages. Some of them may even cost them years of wages. They brought these out. They brought these out and they sacrificed them. They burnt them. They got rid of them. There was no cost too high to follow in Jesus. They turned from their wrong beliefs no matter what the cost. And so, guys, the challenge for us today, just pause for a moment. Think about that. What does that mean for you? Think about that for a moment. Could it be that we've cheapened this Christian faith so much because of our concept of a free gospel that we have this cheap faith that we're unwilling to pay for, that we're unwilling to sacrifice to. We have wrong beliefs just like those people had wrong beliefs. 
But for some of us, we're, we're not willing to give those things up, whether it's practices from other religions, other superstitions that we have in our lives, whether it's the idols of our career. It's not that you shouldn't have a career, but when you put it before God, when you put it before the times that you should spend with God, when you put it before your priority of God, then something's wrong and that's an idol and we need to sacrifice it. That doesn't mean necessarily that you leave it, but you need to change the priority of it. We need to turn from our wrong beliefs no matter what the cost is. God is looking for disciples, for followers, that are willing to follow him at all costs. Count the cost, Jesus said. Count the cost. Take up your cross. Be willing to die. All your desires, your lust, your hunger. If you've been living a promiscuous lifestyle for, all your lo- for, for, for most of your life, even though it's hard, following Jesus means giving that up at all costs. If you've pursued money as your primary motivation, it's not that pursuing money is wrong, but the, what's wrong is the love of money and prioritizing it above God and above people. Whatever it is that's a wrong belief, we got to be willing to give it up no matter the cost because the cost is too great to, to, fall, to not have Jesus so fully in your life. The cost is too great if we gain the whole world, but yet we lose our soul. Matthew 16, Matthew, oh, I can't remember the exact verse, but it's in Matthew. To gain the whole world, but yet lose our soul. What if we have gained salvation, but yet we, we lose this whole life, this, this whole earthly life, because we're living it wrong. We're pursuing the wrong things. we got to turn from our wrong beliefs no matter the cost. Let's move on. This is the la- I think this is the last one. It's from verses 24 to 29. And it's this, that when, when, when God clashes with evil in this world, truth disrupts Satan's agenda. Truth disrupts Satan's agenda. It destroys Satan's agenda. It interrupts Satan's agenda. It causes Satan's agenda. To, there's, there's, there's a disturbance that happens. There's a, a, being an, a, a state of being uncomfortable that happens. And so people hate it. People hate it when truth comes about. They're willing to deny it. Because if they don't if if they don't deny it and they accept it, then they're accountable. They're accountable to it. And their lives have to change because of it. Let's read. And this is a longer one. So in verse 24, it says an idol maker. An idol maker named Demetrius had a profitable business for himself and for others, making silver shrines for Artemis, also known as Diana by the Romans, one of the deities worshipped in Ephesus. Picture this. Demetrius calls a meeting for all the artisans who are similarly employed in idol making. Everyone in the idol industry comes together. They all come together. Demetrius says this, Men, we are all colleagues in this fine line of work. We're making a good living doing what we're doing. 
but we better wake up. We're all going to go broke. You've heard about this fellow Paul here. Here in Ephesus, he's already convinced a large number of people to give up using idols. He tells them that our, our products are worthless. He's been doing this same kind of thing almost everywhere in Asia. It's bad enough that he's, he is slandering our fine and honorable pr- profession, but do you see where this will all lead? If, he, if his lies catch on, the temple of Artemis itself will be called a fraud. The great goddess of our region, the majestic deity who is revered here in Asia around and around the world will be disgraced. The crowd goes wild with rage. They start chanting, Great is Artemis, sorry, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Soon the whole city is filled with confusion and a mob forms. They find Paul, they find Paul's Macedonian travel companions, Gaius and Aristarchus, and they drag them to the theater. And so we see some craziness happening here, but at the same time, it's not that crazy when you think about what has happened in our world over the last few years. As you think of what has happened with Black Lives Matter as, as people became, became enraged with what happened with George Floyd and whether or not that crime was racially motivated, people hopped on that. And there became mobs and riots and craziness and the destroying of property. And it became a cause and, and companies capitalized on that. Media... Mainstream media, legacy media capitalize on that. Big tech capitalize on that. Politics capitalize on that. And it just became this frenzy. There's other instances that had to do with race. There's those those schoolboys, that native fellow. Other things happened. There was issues that happened with, with indigenous child graves. And as people were outraged by it, there became riots and, and protests and mobs and so forth. And if you could put yourself in the shoes of what was happening in this city, the same exact thing was happening. The same exact thing was happening. Because the God of the universe, the God that we love, was confronting evil and disrupting it, dissipating it infecting it, squashing it. And in Ephesus, the city that they were in, I mean, the god of Artemis was big business. All these guys who made shrines, who made idols, they were losing business because God was putting them out of business. It reminds me of the pharmacist, it reminds me of certain industries. It reminds me of the, the abortion industry. There's so much money to be made by killing off unborn children in the womb. Billions of dollars. There's so much money to be made by mutilating children in the name of trans rights. Every single child that gets gender reassignment surgery 
the medical industry and pharmaceutical industry are going to make one, uh, approximately $1.3 million from them, which would include ongoing medications and procedures that go on. There's so much money. When God comes and he disrupts that, helps people to to understand the body that they, that, that they were born with and to accept it, to live with it, to be content with it, to use it for good, to love your own body, in a sense, then it disrupts this whole industry. It disrupts, it disrupts, what, it disrupts the evil that's going, going down. It disrupts the evil that's going on because God confronts evil, clashes with it, and destroys it. And that's what was happening in those days. And this is, this is what happens when God does that in, in our day and age. God wants to do that. And so as we do that, we got to stand for the truth. We've talked about that, guys. we got to stand for the truth because truth, truth disrupts Satan's evil agenda. Jesus said that he is the truth and the way and the life. And, and you know, it could be truth, anything from something small to something major. But the more major it is, the more scared you most likely will be because the more opposition that you will face because the crowds will not like it. But all the more we got to stand for the truth. And if you notice anything about our society, it's, it's going more and more and more towards delusion. Our society feels this need to bring drag shows to elementary schools. It's happened in our own city and many, many other cities around the world. And it's coming from one direction politically. Why do we need to bring what's in the nightclub where it's illegal to have any, anyone who's a minor? You can't bring a child to a nightclub. You can't even bring someone who's 13 to a nightclub. To a place where there's drag going on. But why are we trying to bring those people to the places where children are at? Why are we trying to sexualize our children? Why are we trying to introduce to them books that teach them about dildos and butt plugs and how to have, how to have sex in all kinds of perverse ways? Why are we doing that? It's because Satan is behind it. And it seems right to us as human beings in the name of compassion and empathy and acceptance and tolerance but Satan wants us to go too far to tolerate anything. When Satan pushes us so far, we will tolerate anything. And it's like eating our own S-H-I-T and enjoying it. And we just like, we take the evil and it's like the dog who returns to his vomit. It's sickening and it's gross and it's, 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 deep, it's so depraved. But when we speak the truth and we stand for that truth and we become pillars of truth, when we become a beacon, when we serve as a light, it disrupts Satan's agenda because light extinguishes the darkness. We're not meant to just hang out in the darkness and just accept it. We're not meant to tolerate the darkness and just accept it. If the disciples of Jesus, meaning us, if we don't stand for truth, and we don't stand for light, then who's going to do it? As our society throws away any kind of moral anchor to anything, it's going to slip more and more to what is more and more perverse, more and more disgusting, more and more gross. 
what you can't stand today, you will be able to stand tomorrow or next year or next decade because we will be like the frog in the kettle that slowly gets used to the whole thing until we're just dead like zombies. We're like the living dead. But when we anchor ourselves to Jesus, we get the life, we get the truth, we get the way because he is the truth. He is the way, he's the life. He said it himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Truth will disrupt Satan's agenda, but we got to bring the truth. We got to bring the truth. We'll face opposition just like what we read about in this passage. But God is confronting the evil that's in our world and we got to stand for it. Some of us, it makes us feel uncomfortable because we've embraced evil so much in our lives. But we need to be transformed. We need to, according to Romans 12, Paul's writing to the Romans in chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, Like we, we need our minds to be transformed. The renewing of our minds, Paul says. Our minds need to be renewed so that we love what is good, what is righteous. It affects our prayers. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Some of us have no power in our prayers because our lives are completely unrighteous. We've got to love righteousness and seek after it and live it out. God wants to confront and clash and destroy evil and darkness in our world. And he wants to use us to do it. And I want to be used to do it. And I think you do too. We want to be forces for good in our world. And so, as I close... There's a chess match that's going on in the spiritual world. We know there's a spiritual battle going on. It's a game. It's a game with consequences. Life and death of individuals, of groups of people. And we're a part of this game. Some of us are being used like pawns. Some of us have a more crucial role. Some of us are under submission to Christ. And we're, so we're, we're being used for light. We're on the white side some of us are being used for evil some of us love it some of us salivate over evil some of us lust over evil but we got to change our ways guys and we got to bring God with us because God wants to destroy he wants to destroy Satan and his works and so that's what that's what we see in this chapter in Acts 19 God clashes with evil he did it then he's doing it now and he will do it to the end of this world and after that there will be a rebuilding a reforming a new heaven a new earth and that's going to be glorious it's going to be awesome there'll be no evil in our lives, in our in our existence. And in case you didn't know, hell does exist. God made it for Satan because of all the evil he's doing. How much he's destroying people's lives, how much he opposes God. And when we subject ourselves to sin in our lives, then there's just something there's something that separates us from God because of that. And so, 
our destination changes when it would be with God in heaven and in closeness with God, it changes where our destination becomes hell with Satan and his demons. And so the way out is to pursue Jesus in faith. Say, Jesus, I believe in you, that you are God, that you paid for sin by dying, dying the death I deserve. And I choose to follow you as your disciple and to get baptized. And so you pledge your allegiance and you follow Jesus, the one who is good, the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. And he will lead you to the best life that you can live with the greatest purpose that you could have. All right? So let me pray for us. God, thank you for this message. Thank you for helping us to understand a part of our purpose in this world is to be used by you to clash with the darkness and the evil that exists around us and to disrupt Satan's agenda. Thank you, God. Thank you for the truth that's here. Thank you for speaking. Thank you for speaking to us inside our hearts. Thank you for speaking to us through this MT12 talk. Thank you for speaking to us through the scripture. Use us. Transform the way we think so that we can. you can transform the way that we live and so that you can transform this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.